Who decides who belongs in the world? Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology series. However, in this bonus episode series, I'm reviewing Amazon Prime's new sci-fi anthology series, Solos, created by David Weil. And for all of my archives of all of my episodes, visit anthologypod.com. And you can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow me on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. And let me see if I have an alternate take for the uh, Patreon thing. <laughs> um uh, so you can support me on Patreon if you want exclusive content. And I do have a little um thing that I'm going to say here. Um, I did not have this primed, so I'm sorry. Okay, um, I'm gonna do the stupid law commercial one again, because I haven't prepped any other. So, okay, so here's my spiel for Patreon. Are you a listener of the Obsessive Viewer and its subsidiary podcasts, Anthology and Tower Junkies? Do you find yourself wanting more content from these podcasters? If so, you may be eligible for compensation in the form of bonus content on Patreon. Hi, I'm Matt Hurt from Hurt Roland Associates. Due to a recent settlement with Obsessive Viewer Podcasts, you can be granted access to hundreds of extra content, including B-roll episodes, commentary tracks, and early episodes or early access to uh, full episodes. Damn it! <laughs> For a small retainer ranging from one dollar or two dollars per month to five dollars or ten dollars per month, you can get that extra podcast content you deserve. Don't let these podcasters get away get away with keeping content from you. Show them you mean business by going to Patreon.com/slash Obsessive viewer and signing up again that website is patreon.com slash obsessive viewer go there right now okay so that's patreon <laughs> so yeah you get you get um a lot of uh bonus content on patreon we've got reviews of tv shows and movies and commentary tracks and all that um i am as of this as of the release of this episode on the main feed i am i believe if my time travel is right i should be doing weekly reviews of loki um and also doubling up with weekly reviews of Lisey's story from Apple TV+. Plus. That's at the $2 Patreon level, so check that out again at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And so with all of that preamble out of the way, um, let me go ahead and talk about what, what I'm going to be talking about today on the show. So today on Anthology, I'm continuing my seven-part bonus episode series for the new sci-fi anthology series, Solos, which premiered all of its episodes on May 21st, 2021 on Amazon Prime Video. And if you were a, or if you are a $10 Patreon supporter, you're actually hearing this on May 21st, or at least you have access to it on May 21st. So what I did for the $10 Patreon uh, tier is that I recorded all of these episodes and then I released them all on day one uh, that the, um, that the show premiered. So it premiered all of its episodes on May 21st and I premiered all of my episodes on May 21st on Patreon. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, then you had to wait a few weeks for this to come out on the main feed. I think we're in late June now, I think. I don't know. I'm recording. <laughs> peek behind the curtain. I'm actually recording this at midnight on May 21st because I fell behind on this on this promise of posting um, bonus episode, posting all of the bonus episodes on day one. So I am hoping that 
by recording two episodes tonight, I can meet that deadline of 9 a.m. for posting them on the Patreon. And then hopefully when I worked from home tomorrow at my day job, I do not fall asleep at my desk too much. So, okay. Um, In this episode specifically, I'm reviewing the penultimate episode of Solo's season one. I don't know if there's going to be a season two or if that's a one and done thing. We'll talk about that next time. Um, But I'll be reviewing Nira, uh, which is episode six of the series, which this episode stars Nicole Bahari as a woman who's pregnant and living alone in the woods and how her home birth becomes marred by unforeseen difficulties and abnormalities involving her child. And so... Just to give you a fair warning, I am going to be spoiling the entirety of this episode in my review. So if you don't want to be spoiled on the episode Nira, um, please go watch it on Amazon Prime and then come back and listen to this episode. Because from here on out, we are spoilers on for Nira. So um, warning out of the way, let's talk about the talent rundown for this episode. So... It stars Nicole Bahari as Nira, and she's known for her roles on uh, in, in the movie Shame, uh, 42, and the TV show Sleepy Hollow, but she was also in Black Mirror Season 5 episode Striking Vipers alongside fellow uh, Solos actor um, Anthony Mackie, um, which I reviewed that episode of Black Mirror in bonus episode 38 of the podcast. And writer for this episode was Stacey Osai Kufour, Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She is um, the writer for Marvel's upcoming Blade movie, which is going to star Mahershala Ali. And she worked on Hunters with David Weil. Uh, she wrote one episode of Pen15 on Hulu, which I think is an excellent TV show. And um, also, I found this interesting. She was story editor and a writer on Watchmen on HBO, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal show. And director for this episode was Tiffany Johnson. Uh, her director credits include Black Monday, uh, include the shows Black Monday, The Last OG, and Dear White People. So, since obviously this is a bare, uh, pretty skeleton crew of a of a cast and crew rundown for this series, I'm going to go ahead and go into my feelings as a viewer. So, once again, spoilers on for Nira. Um, from here on out. So, um. I found this episode really interesting. Kind of my overall thoughts is, first of all, it's the shortest episode, I believe, of the entire season. I think it clocks in at like 20 minutes. And um, I found it very curious, and I thought it was very, very uh, nicely subtle as an episode. Um, first of all, I wa- the first time I watched this episode, I watched it while I worked. Um, <laughs> it's kind of having it in my headphones while I was working um, at, ho- at home. So I have like a work laptop and my main laptop that I had the main laptop watching it um, um, with headphones in. And this was not a good episode to watch while having your vision preoccupied by work and everything on another laptop, because this is a very visual episode. This is very sparse on dialogue and um, uh, just very contingent on physical physicality and um, movements and... Uh, um, body uh, body language um <laughs> uh so that was not it was a terrible choice to watch while i worked um because i couldn't pay full attention to it but of course i uh, am committed to providing you guys with some passable content reviewing tv shows on this podcast um so uh i did obviously watch it a couple more times i think or i think once or twice i don't know but anyway um and made my notes so um anyway 
It's a very good episode. I will say that right up front. It's a very good episode. And the scene at the end with the cop at the door really kind of brought home some subtext that I wasn't prepared for or wasn't really conscious of until that point, which I'll talk about in more detail and in more awkwardness because I'm not sure um, (laughs) uh, as I progress through through this review. But if my read of it is what it's intended, I really think that this is a fantastic episode that uh, could could be viewed as kind of a good companion episode to the Twilight Zone uh, 2019, the first season episode replay, which was one of my favorite episodes of, this, of that iteration of the Twilight Zone. And I kind of think that this episode of Solos can kind of be viewed in that same respect in terms of just being a really, really well done episode with, with a lot of subtlety and a lot of, uh, I don't want to say messaging, but a lot of just commentary about um, our society and everything. So, all right. So that's, those are my overall feelings, uh, kind of broad feelings. So let me go into my actual review of Nira which I'm now very conscious if that's how you pronounce her name or not. So hopefully it is. If not, I'm a jackass. So um, it opens with Morgan Freeman's voiceover narration. And he says, who decides who belongs in the world? And this, this is, I hinted at it in a previous episode, but this is one of those opening narration, like half thoughts that I don't really care for. Like I mentioned a few episodes ago that I was basically pulling all the audio from all the opening narrations with Morgan Freeman so that I could have it primed on the board for when I record the episode. So I can just press a button and hear it right there. Who decides who belongs in the world? So yeah, so so I have that primed and everything. And so I listened to those in a very quick succession. And as I listened to those while compiling those sound clips, I was like, oh, this is it, it just it's it's too brief. Um, I kind of on one hand, I like the brevity of it. But on the other hand, it's like like in this case, who decides who belongs in the world? That's just it just feels like a little bit of a half thought that doesn't really resonate that much or doesn't really hit home that much. It doesn't really prime us for the um, for what's to come. I guess. So anyway, the actual introduction of the episode is a very dimly lit, very well-designed set design of what looks like kind of a cabin environment um, with the radio announcing that there are blizzard conditions and um, a bunch of just information about how basically communicating to us that Nira, the pregnant woman in this, in this cabin in the woods or cabin in uh, what looks like a desolate uh, environment um, is all alone and she is kind of, for lack of a better word, trapped there or she's snowed in there. Um, and she's, she's, you know, away from civilization. And I found that that was kind of interesting and a little bit, uh, I don't know. So this is a seven episode series, which is great. Like, I, I love that it's seven episodes. I love that it's 30 minutes. And, um, I just, I really like the brevity of that and everything, but I kind of felt like a little bit, not betrayed, but I felt like, okay, this, we're doing another kind of like, okay, kind of locked in, locked in a room kind of like, uh, kind of story, which I guess is all of them really. I mean, they were all, all the episodes that take place like in a confined space, but coming off the heels of Sasha in particular, which it was an episode that I wasn't really that fond of, or wasn't really that, I didn't really connect with that much. Um, coming off of that episode, which that episode is specifically about a woman in, stuck in quarantine for 20 years, 
coming off of that to another woman in a confined space that is uh, basically just trapped in that confined space, it just felt a little bit like, okay, we're, we're kind of retreading some past things. Like when, like when I say that most of these episodes include this type of story of a character trapped in a single location, it still has like, most of them still have like, um, pretty solid circumstances surrounding them. Like Jenny has the whole, the whole, um, secret coma thing. And Leia has, the communicating with the past and the future and Tom has communicating with a robot and everything like, so like in, in the case of like Leia and Tom in particular, and uh, probably a couple other, other ones, um, you never really get the sense that he's trapped there or anything. There's a little bit of a time timetable element to those episodes, but they're not trapped there. It's not like they can't, they, it's not like they can't just get up and leave. Whereas episodes like Peg, Sasha, and uh, Jenny are all kind of confined there. So to have another episode where a character is confined in a, in a finite space kind of felt a little bit like we're six episodes in and it's kind of dragging a little bit with the repetition there. But it's a minor complaint that I've spent like 20, 35 minutes talking about. So uh, take take uh, take that as they come, I guess. Um, so as the announcer is talking about the blizzard conditions and everything, I just want to point out that there is music in this episode that it's really the entire series. Like this music, I, I can't really pinpoint it. I can't really describe it because I'm not like a music-minded person, but the kind of what I'm considering to be kind of the general theme of solos, like the kind of um, the the theme of the score of the entire series proper that recurs throughout just about every episode. Um, I just love that music. Um, it definitely has this kind of moody futurism feel to it that I just really think complements the kind of uh, near futuristic, uh, subtle science fiction approach that the show is taking from a production standpoint. And so we're introduced to Nira, who is super pregnant, and she uh, she's laying on her back on the couch, um, kind of groaning, I think, just, you know, pregnant, um, pregnant person. <laughs> and, uh, and again, that's another thing, like another storyline about a pregnant woman. It's kind of, I don't know, like immediately after Jenny's episode just seems a little, I don't know, um, I don't want to say sloppy, but it just seems a little... Um, tired, I guess, which is what I am because it's 1230. Anyway, so uh, she's super pregnant and she wakes up to the window banging. And something I found really interesting about this episode was the way that it incorporates these, um, these sound, sound, the sound design of like the window banging, the knocks on the door, the um, eventually Jacob running around or doing his taxes or whatever, um, because he's growing so fast and everything. Um, so it's just, it's, I really like the way that it establishes that in terms of tone and everything. And the howling wind of, of the blizzard outside is, is really, really good at establishing how alone and isolated she is, but also it primes us for the complete fear of, and, and kind of baseline horror of what's to come in her situation and everything from her, from her being in labor to her experiencing this malfunctioning child um it's just that sound design right off the bat really brings us into this world and brings us into that tone really well so 
as I said, she starts having contractions and everything. And um, again, she also hears rustling and banging and howling outside. And I kind of wondered um, also if that, and this is such, like, this is this is a completely rudimentary observation, but I kind of wondered if that, like, the idea of her listening or hearing the rustling and banging and howling outside, that doesn't really have much um, context for what it is. Like, it's kind of, she's she's listening to it as though, like, okay, that could be a threat or whatever. But I kind of wonder if that was supposed to be a metaphor for, like, fears of motherhood? I don't know. Um, or now that I'm saying it out loud, maybe it's just this instinctual thing that she is, she is like in the process of, of giving birth and she has to obviously instinctually will be protective of the child and everything. So maybe that's, that's what's supposed to be kind of, um, uh, supposed to be highlighted from that. I'm not sure, but it's, it's kind of brief. This first like bit of, uh, contractions is, is brief, is brief. Um, and so she ends up locking the door and we get this really cool kind of really brief, like Dutch angle, similar to the Sasha episode, um, of her kind of in the hallway from, from, uh, from down the hallway toward the, toward the door. It's this really cool Dutch angle. I like, I really like that in this cause it really like having these Dutch angles where they're tilting the camera and everything feels like it is. I don't, I don't want to say it feels like it's a, it's an homage to the twilight zone, but it feels like it has like this intentional or unintentional, whatever the case may be. It feels like it is at home with this, uh, with, with this kind of treasured, um, aspect of, of like the kind of granddaddy of, of, um, science fiction anthology shows because obviously Dutch angles were utilized a lot in the twilight zone. And to see, so to see it kind of done, somewhat here um in in solos feels like it feels like if it's intentionally an homage that's cool but it's probably unintentional but it's still pretty cool anyway so she goes into the kitchen and to to make some tea and she plays Celine Dion in the kitchen and I just want to highlight again this one of the things that I really like about science fiction and science fiction anthology series and everything is the way that it deals with technology and the way that it demonstrates technology. So in this episode, we see the really cool futuristic but also retro display of the of the radio. Um, it has like this um, holographic um, uh, neon kind of like design of the of the display. Um, that's kind of outside of the, it's not like on a screen. It's just, it's, it's, uh, a hologram outside of the device. It's really cool. But anyway, the music cuts out and this is kind of signaling to us that yes, she's about to be very, very alone. And, uh, I did want to mention that it was pretty cool. It was pretty funny to see that she has a mug, the mug that she takes to get the tea says, uh, look at you getting all pregnant and shit. I thought that was pretty funny and, and cute. But when she's getting the stuff out, I, th- I think when she's getting the water out of the fridge, um, we get the kind of um, the vials of medicine with the logo saying better baby. And I'm not I wasn't like that's the reveal of whatever this is, whatever the better baby is. The One of the kind of complaints I have about the episode or one of the disconnects I have with the episode is that it doesn't really go into. I wish that there was more to it. Like it is this. From what I can understand, it's this advanced fertility specialty or whatever that is, I guess, fully artificially creating a baby in 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 a, in a more, 
I don't know, clinical or, or scientific sense. I, I don't know. But I just feel like this episode doesn't really go into depth, go into enough uh, backstory or give us enough information about what the actual process of her of her becoming present pregnant with a better baby um, entails and what what it is. So I don't know. I, it's a minor complaint, but I just kind of wish that there was a little bit more about what the product is and what it's meant to be and what she went through to get the baby. Um or to get pregnant. So the contractions um, get more and more intense um, and continue as she's making the tea. And so she is scrambling to call the doctor. And uh, I did like the kind of sense of, um, I don't know, flawed technology or flawed future technology when she calls the doctor, because it's clearly like she's exasperated. She's clearly fearful. She's clearly anxious and scared. And she says, talk, call, call the doctor. I need to call the doctor. And then the automated, uh, um, AI response is just like, oh, how are you? Or whatever. Or how's it going? And everything. And she's like, call the doctor. And then they get Dr. Burrell on the phone. And so she tells him that she's going into labor and he kind of panics a little bit. And he's like, uh, that can't be, it's too soon. And then he says that there must be a malfunctioning with the programming. And then the call drops, which I like. And again, I kind of like that in spite of being a little bit too in the dark about what the better baby process is and everything, because the way that he uses the words like there must be a malfunctioning with the programming that is signaling to us that this baby that she's conceiving and and she's giving birth to is not like an actual... It, it's not a, you know, regular um, human baby, for lack of a better word. But it 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 kind of, like, that's fine. I, I like that as, I, I really like that as concept and everything, and that's fine. But I just feel like it's sacrificing more detail. Like, it is, it is taking away more detail about that in favor of ambiguity, which I feel like isn't really needed or doesn't really serve the story as well as it could, um, the ambiguity aspect of it. So I kind of wish that there was a little bit more there. But overall, I do like how this kind of opening scene and this opening, these opening moments of this episode, I like how it demonstrates the helplessness that she's in. Like, this is an absolutely terrifying situation because she tells the dispatcher that she's going into labor and she's alone. And that alone is just terrifying to me. And then to kind of add insult to injury, uh, her water breaks and uh, the the labor is advancing quite a bit. And just like the desolation, the complete loneliness and everything, I would be absolutely horrified to be in that position um, because, I mean, it's, it's just a really frightening thing um, because when, uh, like, she's, you know, about to give birth to a baby, like, you would want to be as... Um, protected in terms of having medical personnel and having like having your you know shit together um you would want that to be um something like you would want to have i don't know so it kind of terrified me so then there's this time lapse of her leaning against the wall screaming through the pain of the contractions and then the baby just kind of slides out and that's really kind of disturbing, first of all, just because we know that it's some kind of programmed baby or something or hyper fertility clinic thing that maybe that I'm right there that that pause that I had was me trying to think of other adjectives and other descriptors for what this baby could represent and everything in the context of the better baby brand 
but I failed to come up with anything because we don't know anything. <laughs> like we haven't, we were not given enough information about what exactly this is or how this is different from a natural birth. And that's just kind of a bummer. So I don't know. Uh, and, and then also like it's designed like the, the actual design of having her just, you know, give birth to the baby. It just like kind of sliding out and into her, her hands like, I feel like that's designed to showcase that it's like this futuristic birth and, um, and it's a byproduct of the better baby brand thing, I guess. But all I could think as she's walking around with the baby and cutting the umbilical cord and doing all of this, um, is that I just felt like all I kept thinking was like, she might need some medical attention right now. Like I'm thinking, cause I mean, uh, we all had, you know, uh, sophomore health class talking about, um, <laughs> like, uh, the birds and the bees and babies and everything. It's like, I mean, when, you know, when she gives birth, I mean, she might need to get, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, um, I, I don't know what I'm, what I'm trying to say, like some kind of like, you know, I, I don't know if there's bleeding or anything. Like, did, I would think that she would need to, you know be seen with a doctor, be seen by a doctor. I don't know. But anyway, um, so she cuts a cord and that is a nice kind of foreshadowing of the, of the knife later. And then this is an interesting, I don't know if this was necessarily meant to be, um, um, uh, comic relief or what, but like she, the placenta comes out and then she just kind of steps over it. And I don't know if it was meant to be comedy. I kind of smirked at it, I guess, but eh, it's fine. So she, uh, she puts, she puts the baby down and then she hears the, she then hears Jacob in the next room and walks in to find, and I have in my notes, she walks in to find dot, 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 a fucking toddler. And that is creepy. Like this is this, the element of this story, the kind of idea of this baby that is growing and becoming like, like he, by the end of the episode, he's like, I think he's like a 15 year old. And as far as like a horror leaning episode of a sci-fi anthology show is concerned, I really think that this is pretty damn effective because this is a horrific and horrifying idea presented. And I really like that for it. I really like this episode for that because it is a very cool tone to strike with this episode. And also just as a brief aside here in a couple of months, or by the time you're listening to this on the main feed, maybe a few weeks, I don't know. But uh, this episode reminds me of how cautiously excited I am for M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, Old, which has this kind of uh, kind of similar premise, which is like a family on an island and they keep aging or something like that. I don't know. It's all mysterious. M. Night Shyamalan, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. <laughs> his, his career has bounced back because I was a big fan of his in his early days of his career. It's a very fascinating career trajectory. Um, but from here on out, I'm anytime he comes out with a movie, I'm still going to be automatically cautiously interested in it because I've, I've been burned before by Shyamalan. Um, okay. So Nira puts a sweater on the toddler and it's, it's a, it's a big baggy sweater. Um, which is cool. Cause that is kind of how it's going to chart his next growth spurt through the episode for us as the viewer. So I thought that was pretty cool. 
Um, but she tries to move him and he bites her and then runs off. And right at that moment, the doctor calls and she tells him that he's already two years old. And the doctor says, and this is another instance of the episode being kind of um, tricky <laughs> or kind of vague and ambiguous because she, uh, the doctor says that there was a malfunction in the software and after that, the call keeps getting disrupted. And like, I like that as an effective, or I feel like it's an effective way to demonstrate how alone she is and how alone she's going to be throughout this whole ordeal and everything. But also, it is sacrificing vital information and uh, for the sake of ambiguity and and mystery. So the call gets disrupt- disrupted. But I think all that all that we can make out is that I think the doctor says that the, the kid is like super dangerous and that she needs to protect herself. And I couldn't really tell what exactly he was saying. I, I didn't infer from that, that he is telling her to kill the child. But then later when he calls back, like the only fragment of sentence that we can make out is him saying, did you do it? Um, so I don't know. It's kind of, I kind of wish that there was a little bit more there to really sell the danger that that she is perceived to be in and what she is meant to do in this in this and everything because then she she gets the knife and everything and it's kind of this tense moment but it kind of feels like wait is she, like why i i'm not making the connection as to why she needs to kill him um versus just because the phone calls were so disrupted and and i couldn't make sense of what what the doctor was saying so anyway after the call, she looks for Jacob and finds uh, the older version of him standing with a knife. And he just says, hi, mommy. Um, scary as hell. Like that. <laughs> kids, creepy kids in movies and shows creep me the the hell out. And this was no different because he's just standing there with a knife. It's super creepy. And so she tells him, like, you need to stop. You need to give me the knife and everything. And he says, what did I do wrong, mommy? All I did was get born. And holy crap, first of all, creepy, just creepy. Um, <laughs> but also, I feel like this is the this is maybe the first or maybe not the first hint, but this is like the this is an interesting um, moment in terms of kind of revealing a little bit of the subtext of the episode, because I kind of think, and I feel like, I feel like in saying, in, in, in giving my kind of just armchair analysis of this, um, episode and its subtext and everything, I feel like I may be speaking a little bit out of turn or not very, I'm not very confident with, with this, but I kind of feel like at least part of this episode is about the racial disparity in, in the United States and, and racial, um, racial profiling and, and, uh, discrimination, institutional racism, all the stuff that I talked about ad nauseum in my episode review of replay from the Twilight Zone season one from 2019. Um, and when I kind of latch onto that as a potential kind of underlying commentary and everything, it makes this line where he says, what did I do wrong, mommy? All I did was get born. It really makes that resonate quite a bit because we are living at a time where it is very, very, um, uh, very heavily documented how children in particular, uh, not in particular per se, but there are children who are being killed by police and by people of authority. Um, and each, each circumstance of that has its own, I mean, its own, its own kind of 
things that lead up to it or, or it, it own special circumstances or own uh, they have their own circumstances and everything and they, I I would stop short of saying that it would be I don't know I, I again kind of talking out of my ass but I kind of feel like it's a case by case basis but for the most part it's like you, there are a there are far too many um, instances of unjustified shootings and um, kids being killed in particular and this is, I think is what this episode is getting at that um, and also kind of in the more broad sense, just the kind of idea of, of institutional racism and its view of black men in particular, like, like replay was like in this episode, um, he says, what did I do wrong? Mommy? All I did was get born. Like that just resonates so much and hits so hard because I mean, you see on the news, like these, uh, like unarmed black men being killed and then you see other sides of the media spinning that a certain way, saying like, well, here's a picture of him when, you know, he was like throwing up gang signs and it's like a picture of a kid with his friends being goofy or whatever. And it's just, it's, I don't know, it's all just really fucking depressing um, and, and horrific and everything. Anyway, um, so she tries to get the knife from him, but he says that he needs it to protect himself from her. And then he starts complaining about the sweater being itchy and everything. And this is kind of where the episode loses me a little bit in terms of like it, it, the connection I, I have with the episode doesn't really, it, it loosens a little bit. So um, when he says that he needs it to protect himself from her, like at this point, I don't think that that, and I think that this is why I'm a little shaky on the kind of racial subtext of the episode, because this is right after he says the all he did was get born thing. And then he's saying that he needs to protect himself from her. And I feel like if there is that racial subtext, it is now pivoted to a more personal human, uh, human, uh, human uh, backstory of the character kind of thing. This is more, it's not it, like he, when he says he needs to, he needs it to protect himself from her. He's not saying that as, uh, as a, as a, kind of um, commentary on racial injustice or anything like that. He's saying that as, you know, uh, that is reflective of the character of Nira's backstory and how she has come come to be in this moment. Um, so I don't know. Um, again, it's a little, it's a little like cloudy for me. Um, and it's just kind of where it, where it loses me a little bit. So the phone says that there are three new voicemails from Dr. Burrell and all we really hear from it is him saying, did you do it? And then she hangs up and, and runs off, I guess. Um, and she, uh, oh, that's when, oh, that's right. Because Jacob is pestering her for food. And uh, like to talk about the horror elements of this episode, like the kid just screaming about food and wanting food now and everything and, and all that. Like, oh, uh, I don't want kids. <laughs> that's just, it's, it's too much. It's, it's way too much. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm kids scare me. Um, so she, she, um, tricks him into giving up the knife by telling him to wash his hands and then she takes the knife. And so as he sits to eat and, uh, as he sits to eat, he asks her to tell him a story. So as she is holding the knife behind her back, kind of gearing up to kill him, I guess, uh, she tells a story that is clearly about herself. And she talks about how, uh, there was a woman who hated being alone. She was abandoned in a, in a dumpster as a baby and no one wanted her. She went through foster care and she was just always alone. 
And when she grew up, she felt alone. She couldn't form connections with others. And no one liked her because she wasn't very fun to be around because she always thought about the rejection of, of, of her life and being in the darkness and the dumpster and everything. Which, in terms for an episode that is is fairly sparse with dialogue and everything, this little like monologue of this story that she tells Jacob is really effective and and really good, really well performed and everything. It's maybe not the best, or it's maybe not the strongest written or strongest acted of the kind of monologues throughout the season, but it does stand on its own and hold its own pretty well in the grand scheme of things. So. She gives Jacob a sandwich, and he's 11 now, um, I think. He's 11 years old, not 11 from Stranger Things. Uh, anyway, so um, she has a knife behind, the bat, behind her back, ready to kill him, as she continues the story, and she talks about how she wanted to change her fate and decided to have a baby. But then she says, he, uh, then he's like, did, you, did she have a baby? And then he's, uh, she's like, yeah, but he didn't come out how she thought. And that's... It's interesting. I I don't know. Again, I don't think there's enough information about what is happening um, here because at this point, it's I don't know why he would be dangerous. I don't know what makes him dangerous, which may be the point if there is this um, racial social commentary there. But also, I mean, I'm just thinking like, okay, well, she needs to kill him because he is rapidly aging, and it's just he's I don't I don't know. It's it's kind of a little muddy for me. Um, so as she's about to do it, um, the police knock on the door and the cop says through the door that they got a call and the dispatcher heard her screaming and he asks if everything is okay. And she says everything's okay and tells him that it's just her and her son there. And then the cop kind of switches his tone just slightly, just very, very slightly. And he asks if she called about her son, if her son was harming her or anything. And uh, then he says, I should have a word with him. And this, the shot in the scene, the way it's composed, is just really impressive to me because as he's saying this, it is like it is the only exterior shot of the entire episode, and it's just from a level with his uh, holster. Like it is like his gun holster is like center frame. Um, we see his hand; it's it's a it's a white cop um, nearing the butt of his gun, and it's just. Um, it's it's completely out of focus and everything, but you see his gun and you see that his hand is white resting on the butt of it. And I really, really felt that the subtlety of that was just honestly pretty brilliant. Um, just showing, showing us how, um, showing us through that kind of, uh, framing of the, of the shot and also through, um, Nira's reaction to it because she says they're fine. And, uh, then when he says next time he's called out there, he'll, but she closes the door on him, um, or closes the little eye hole thing on him. Um, it's just, it's really, it's really subtle, um, showing that kind of mistrust of, um, the police and everything, which is one of the things that I keep kind of coming back to in light of like the Black Lives Matter movement and everything is that when I hear people say, um, the moronic, like, oh, why don't they say all lives matter and everything? It's just, it's a stupid, uh, ignorant, um, response to black lives matter because they're not saying that they're not saying white lives don't matter. They're not saying blue lives don't, they're not saying that blue lives don't matter because blue lives don't fucking exist. It's a job. You apply for it and you get a job. Like it's, that's, that's what it is. No one's born a police officer. 
Um, anyway, so <laughs> the thing that I keep coming back to about that, when I hear that kind of just really obtuse response to like the idea that, you know, unarmed black people should not be killed, um, that the response that I hear to that is it's coming from a place 99% of the time that kind of like, well, what about all lives matter thing is coming from a place, coming from a position of a person who if they are in an emergency situation, will not hesitate to dial 911. Whereas if a minority person is in a position that they need assistance, there there is this ingrained, institutionalized, this, in, this ingrained fear um, given everything that if you dial 911, you could be killed for no reason. Like that is something that is demonstra- uh, demonstrably evident throughout the last like several years um and that is like that is a, an example of just institutional racism it is completely keeping um it is it is it is keeping um minority citizens of the united states the, like citizens who have every right to have police uh, assistance and Medical assistance, like, like there's, a, uh, it's, it's so, it makes my blood boil, but, um, the, just that idea that if you, if you are in a position where you might die, uh, or need some very serious assistance from trained professionals who are, whose job is to assist others and protect and serve and everything, you don't, like, the idea that you don't want to call 911 because you don't want to get, you or a loved one killed by the people that are sworn to protect you and everything is so fucking tragic and backwards. Um, so anyway, that's my kind of spiel on that. So, um, so to get back into the episode, I just found that that interaction with the police officer is really interesting and kind of subtle. Um, and I kind of, again, (laughs) I I put this in my notes, not knowing that I was going to go on that little tangent, but I kind of hesitate to make sweeping declarations of it being about race specifically, um, because the imagery and metaphor behind the scene with a cop is strong evidence of it being similar to the themes, say, the themes in, explored in Twilight Zone's replay episode. But I'm having trouble connecting that with the fear and tension that came before it. That's my big disconnect here, because the episode is about a mother who's instructed by her doctor to kill her son. And he is explained or he is... um described as kind of a troubled child who's malfunctioning and everything that element of the story reminds me a bit of the movie we need to talk about kevin which that movie really really messed me up it was it was incredible but i kind of like and this is where i'm a little hesitant this is where i'm a little unsure of 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 what the intent of the episode is but i kind of felt like maybe it could also be a metaphor for how african-american kids are viewed and treated throughout the country because he's a black child who is troubled and different from normal in some cases so she for some reason has to kill him as a result of that and i kind of feel like and this is it this is it this is the thinnest stretch like or this is the biggest stretch that i can make um but i kind of thought that maybe the doctor's it's not even really insistence that she kills him, but like her, his nudging of her to kill him and everything. Maybe the doctor is representing white America and 
like the fears that you know racist bigots here in the United States have about people of color finding them just extremely dangerous just because they're a minority or they're a black person um I don't know and and that that is that is such a leap and I just feel like the episode doesn't have enough information to really make those connecting to to connect the dots throughout the entire episode so I kind of I I was a little lost there um yeah and then so the the cop uh is there to help and respond to the call but Nero refuses to let him anywhere near her son because she's protecting him now which that leap is kind of just a little I I like it but it's kind of just it doesn't really uh convalesce uh or mesh with the the episode um I think I I don't know so we kind of get the final scene where um Jacob who is now 15 asks what happened to the son in the story and I think she says like oh he was fine he was perfect and everything so I don't know and then that's the end of the episode it's a pretty short episode it's pretty um low-key I guess um or or it's kind of more abstract I would say um because it's very sparse on dialogue and it has some interesting elements in terms of the child growing um, throughout the episode um but I kind of felt like there was like, I don't know if I'm looking too deep in the episode for the racial subtext of it, but I also don't think I'm too far off. But overall, I kind of feel like there's a little bit of a conflict in in the story being told between Nira being a, um, a woman who can't form um, can't form connections and has this this terrible, tragic past and everything with the kind of the element of of her raising a, a child um, with some malfunctions and some problems and everything. So I don't know. I kind of, it feels like a little bit cluttered to me and I can't really make sense of it, but overall, um, pretty cool episode. It has some good, um, horror elements and everything. So that's something. So, (laughs) and that's the penultimate episode of solos. Um, once again, this episode is available on Patreon or has been available on Patreon since May 21st. So consider checking out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, uh, as I, um, I, I'm aware that we're now on episode six of solos. So like I'm pitching, uh, like, I'm not going to pitch that you pledge $10 to get access to the seventh episode that's going to come out in a week, but, I do just want to say that I have a bunch of back content on Patreon, and I hope you guys consider checking it out if you want more of my rambling nonsense and me talking to my uh, co-hosts on Obsessive Viewer and Tower Junkies as well. Just there's a whole bunch of stuff there. I really hope you guys consider it. So, all right, I am going to play myself out, and um, thank you guys so much for listening, and I am maybe going to record the next episode. I don't know. It's 1am now. I don't know. So anyway, um, so uh, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time. And now here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed to hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content. Go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. It's this is a beautiful moment and I'm going to point out a a thing because, um, the, uh, communications officer. Oh God. What is his name? Um, Oh God, I can't remember. I'm so sorry, but, uh, everyone's looking at Mercury kind of passing over, uh, in front of the sun in in it's, uh, rotation or it's, a whatever everyone's staring at it and just, 
and this music is just so fucking great. Um, but everyone's watching it, and we see it here. Gorgeous uh, visuals and everything. But if you see uh, him, the communications officer, God, what is his name? Why can't I remember it? But he's not looking at it. He's looking down. And that's because his kind of main thing, his main kind of arc throughout the movie is homesickness. And he is... He just wants to get back home. That is his that is his thing. He wants like his drive is to make it back to his family and to earth. So that is a nice subtle kind of like look at showing uh that he doesn't really care about like seeing this thing that no human being could see at that like will ever be able to see again probably at that point. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash As Good As It Gets Band. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! (laughs) 